The first scripture reading today is Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. It can be found on page 961 in your Red Pew Bibles. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The second scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 24 to 29, and it can be found on page 1134. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Would you join me in prayer? Father, as we listen to your word read, and as we reflect upon it now, we pray that you would open up our hearts, God. We don't want this word to sort of be read and fall flat on the floor. We pray that your Holy Spirit would take those words and press them deep into our lives so that they might feed us and nourish us so that acts of love and kindness and Christ-likeness would emerge in our lives. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Your servants are listening. Amen. The human heart is soft. It's like clay. And I don't mean the physical heart. Uh, the human heart, the essence of who we are is pliable and soft, and throughout our lives, it gets formed and shaped. The question in life is never whether or not you will be shaped. You are being formed and shaped. Who you are as a person, it is being shaped. The question is, into what are you being formed? Into what are you being shaped and by whom? 
For the follower of Jesus, that question gains a little more focus because we wonder, how am I becoming fully human? Because this is what God calls us to. How am I coming fully alive to the life that God offers to you and I? How will my life, how will our life take on the contours of Jesus Christ and not be pressed into the mold of the surrounding culture around us? That is a vital question because the pull of the surrounding culture is so powerful. Think of the pull to to give in to rampant consumerism, the pull to, to work longer and harder hours at work in order to succeed in our workplaces, the pull, the distracting pull and power of digital media that profoundly shapes us with every swipe, with every click. Those are powerful forces at work in our world, and they seek to shape us. And in the face of those massive, powerful shaping forces, how do we walk in step with the Holy Spirit? How do we live out God's story? How can we participate in God's new creation, living the resurrection life that Jesus experiences and offers to each one of us? That is the the practical question that we're going to continue to wrestle with for the next few weeks here at Knox as we explore the practices of Jesus. This sermon series that we're beginning is looking at, for the next eight weeks or so, aiming to, to explore how do we live the resurrection life of Jesus? How does that resurrection power of God that, that rose Jesus to new life How does that get released in our lives more and more? We're going to be looking at, very practically, these practices of Jesus. I'm so looking forward to this. I think it's going to be so helpful, so, I hope, transformational for us. Because here it is. Jesus Christ invites each one of us into his life, into this beautiful salvation life. And this, you know, this is not something that that we earn at all. This is entirely this gift of God. It is all grace, right? There's nothing we can do to earn this gift. This new creation, this salvation life of God, it's all God's. Trouble is, when, when Christians hear that, they, they struggle with that gift of grace, and, and some people struggle because they think, okay, if it's all a gift of grace, if I can do nothing to earn it, then maybe I don't do anything to participate in it. We've mistakenly believed that grace, which is opposed to earning, we've mistakenly believed that it's opposed to effort as well. Not so. Not so. Let me give you an example of what that's like. Years ago, when uh, my wife and I lived in Calgary, I'm a skier. One year, she gave me the best gift, a multi-day pass to one of the local mountains, um, to one of the ski mountains. It was a beautiful gift. Three days of mountain bliss, completely free. I had the pass in my hands. It was a beautiful gift. But for weeks, that's all that happened. I clutched this pass in my hand. I never enjoyed the gift. I did mentally, you know. I could imagine standing at the top of the mountain, looking on one of the back bowls. Just, I could, I could imagine the adrenaline rush of heading down the mountain, the powder, the perfect run, so good. But it was only in my mind. For me to 
actually enjoy that gift, to fully participate in that gift, I had to arrange my life around that gift. I had to participate in it. So I needed to schedule a day in my calendar that I would, okay, I'm going skiing. Night before, needed to pack my lunch. Had to put my skis, my boots in the car. Had to drive to the mountain. Had to gear up, put my helmet on, put my coat on. Head up the gondola to the top of the mountain. And there, finally at the top of the mountain, then I could enjoy the fullness of the gift. I had to participate in that thing. God has given us the gift of a lifetime in Jesus Christ. It is yours. Resurrection power available to you. It is all gift. There is nothing you do to earn this. But do not mistake it to mean there's nothing you do. You participate in that gift, in living it out, in working it out in your life. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which we heard the end of it, at the very end, there is this, I love how Jesus ends this sermon. It's one of those, you know, mic drop type of moments where Jesus ends it with these two, with a parable. And it's a very familiar parable, and it's a parable about house building and foundations. But in the parable, what Jesus does is he's really telling two stories. Um, He's telling two stories side by side. And when you get a parable like that, one of Jesus' teachings the best way to understand it is to look at those two stories, look at the similarities, but then also find out what's the variable in that story because that's the hinge. That's the thing that Jesus is really after. And you know the story well, right? Two stories, two houses being built, which is a little like our life. We're all building something with our life. We're all builders, whether we want to or not, whether we're doing it well or doing it badly, we're building a life. And then secondly, every house faces a storm. And his description of the two storms, uh, the storm that hits the house on the rock and the storm that hits the house on the sand, they're absolutely identical, identical, word for word, because Jesus wants to make it clear that this is not a story about how to build a house where there will be no storms. Everyone faces a storm, no matter how you build your life, no matter where you build your life. But what really matters in this story of Jesus here is the variable, the hinge point. And the whole deal comes down to this. What are you building your house on? What are you constructing your life on? There's rock and there's sand. You can build your life on a rock, Jesus says, or you can build your life on sand. And those two things are very pointed in terms of what he says. Building your house on a rock is, Jesus says, someone who hears my words and puts them into practice. That's building your house on a rock. That's, here's the sharp edge of this parable, and I hope we all feel it. Both people who build their house on a rock and who build their house on a sand hear God's word. Both builders are probably members of a church somewhere. Both have read their Bibles. Both go to Bible studies. Both go to church. Both have listened to sermons and they've had good theology taught to them. The only difference is one puts it into practice. The house that crashes is the house of a person, of a a believer, someone who's heard the words of Christ, who thought they were important enough to hear, but didn't think they were realistic enough to live out in daily life. And that 
life crashes. I think that should tell us something. Our problem in formation, in living out this Christian life, it is not knowledge. Because both those houses had equal amounts of knowledge. They both knew, heard the words of Jesus. One of them just didn't put it into play, into practice. Our problem is not knowledge. Our problem is we don't put into practice the life of Jesus in our daily lives. We do not arrange our lives around the practices of Jesus. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man, a wise person who builds their house on a rock. And throughout Scripture, again and again, Jesus, the writers of the New Testament, actually all the Old Testament, it is all about the centrality of doing this, of practice. Luke 8, verse 21, Jesus says, My mother, my brother, my family, he's saying, are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. There it is again. John 13, verse 17, Jesus says this, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them, if you put them into practice. I mean, Jesus and the rest of the, the writers of the New Testament consistently call us to not merely hear and listen, but to practice. Teaching has to lead to practice. And for centuries, the church has followed that impulse of Jesus' uh, words by living out what is commonly called the spiritual disciplines, what we call the practices of Jesus. And they are ways that we learn how to participate in God's resurrection life. They are ways in which we learn how to arrange our lives around the life of Jesus. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring some of those practices. Not exhaustively, there's many more, but we're going to look at things like fasting, Sabbath keeping, worship, scripture, feasting and celebration, simplicity, silence, solitude. These these practices that the the church throughout history has found as so fundamental, so core to the life of Jesus growing up within us. And for some reason, the, the modern church has lost these disciplines, these practices, sort of excuse them as maybe they're for elite Christians, right? They're for the super Christians who really, no, 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 they're for people, regular people like you and I who mean, who are meant to live out this life. These practices are vital for us because our daily practices, whatever they might be, do something to us. They shape us. We are what we do. We are what we practice. The life that you and I lead is the cumulative effect of our daily and weekly practices. One author, Annie Dillard, I love this quote from her. She writes this. She says, how we spend our days, of course, is how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing with our lives. I think sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking that, you know, we can hold certain beliefs and feel like, yeah, that's the type of person we are, but our actual life might be very different. 
the things we do with our days, the life we're living is very different. You know, someone can be very committed to living, to, to caring for the environment and, you know, be concerned about climate change. But if you're driving in a Hummer to the corner store, your life isn't lining up with some of your convictions, right? Your life is showing a very different belief. So we need to look at our daily lives. What are the regular routines and habits of your life and what is it telling of your convictions? All of us are living our lives rooted in some practice. We are living according to some regiment of routine, of practice, of habits, and those habits are shaping our life. There was one study from Duke University that I saw that suggested as much as 40% of our daily waking lives is not the product of choice, but our a routine or habit that we have placed in our life, a practice. And we do that because we need to. We do not have the brain power, the mental space to constantly make a choice all the time. So we automatize a whole lot of decisions to habits. We automatize so many choices into basic daily practices. So think of your daily schedule. I bet you follow a pretty clear pattern or routine every day. You know, maybe call it the morning hustle, whatever it is, you know, waking up, getting cleaned up and dressed, eating breakfast, heading out the door, commuting to work or school. It follows a fairly regular routine and pattern. You eat at the same spot maybe. How about in church? You sit in the same pew probably. Um, you drive the same way home. Think of your social media scrolling, your habits, the time you spend on devices, what you do with your evening hours. All these fit into sort of a framework of meaning, a habit, a routine for our lives. And we'd like to think these are carefully chosen and we've curated them, but most of them we've hardly give a second thought to. And yet they're forming us. Those habits are shaping our hearts. They're forming the things that we love in life. They're directing our heart towards certain things and away from other things, which is why Scripture constantly, repeatedly calls us to practice what we hear from Jesus, to not merely listen, to hear, but to do it, to put it into play, to routinize it, to make it a habit, to practice it. The way of Jesus, the resurrection life of Jesus, it's a way of life. It's not a set of ideas. It's a way of life, and it requires practice. I mean, it's really obvious, isn't it? We realize that in every other area of life. Anyone who is good at anything, sports, skills, music, studies, it has taken practice, hours and hours of it. Now, the temptation would be to confuse this to confuse the Christian life as, as an act of trying really hard. You know, that's not it. Because trying really hard, it doesn't work. Instead, spiritual formation, it's not about trying really hard. Living this resurrection life, it's not about that. It's about training well. It's about practice. And there's a difference. Let me explain. This summer, my son Owen and I, we are planning to hike the West Coast Trail on the pretty much most western side of Vancouver Island. It is, as I'm reading and getting very frightened, one of the toughest hikes in North America. It is 75 kilometers of just slogging through some gorgeous but rigorous forest. 
I will not make it through those 75 kilometers and 130 bridges and 70 ladders of over 2,000 steps up and down and four pulley cars across rivers and ravines. I will not make it through that by one day in August showing up on the trail um, and trying really hard. I will die. <laughs> I will be, have to be rescued off the trail if that's what I do. Instead, what I need to do, what I'm doing right now, is for the next few months, I'm training. I'm practicing really hard so that over the next few months, by the time I hit August, through practice, I'm going to become the kind of person who can actually hike the West Coast Trail and live to tell about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to become the person who has it within my capacity to do that trail. The practices of Jesus are given to us by God so that we become the type of people for whom the resurrection life is within reach, is within our capacity. If you want to experience the resurrection life of Jesus, life to the full that he offers, it takes a lifetime of practice. You know, we're not going to get this done over one week, two week, a month, a year. A lifetime of ongoing practice and in a community of support. But it can be lived. It becomes a part of our everyday lives through the practices of Jesus. It's amazing how resurrection power gets channeled into our lives through these simple and through bodily practices. That's a really important thing for us to note. I love how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 9, that second passage. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, only one gets the prize? I know that's not the case today. Everyone gets a prize, right? Everyone gets an award. Here it is. No, no, no. One gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not, la that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that I have, after I have preached to others, I will not be disqualified. So as metaphors, athletics and running a race, which fit to Corinth. Corinth was the home of, of what was called the Isthmian Games in the first century, so every two years, thousands of people would come to Corinth, and it was sort of like Olympic-type games that they would hold there, and that metaphor obviously connected with, with his readers in Corinth. They got it, yes, it's like those athletes we've seen who've trained well, who run, who, who box, do these amazing feats. Following Jesus is like being an athlete. And notice how discipline is a critical part of that. To be a disciple is to be disciplined. And those spiritual disciplines or practices are the way we participate in this salvation life. But what I find so helpful of what Paul talks about here is how important our bodies are in this participation of God's life. It's not this ethereal, spiritual thing that excludes our bodies. No, no, no. Our bodies are actually the focal point of our relationship with God. You interact with God through your body. Your body's a gift. Through your senses, your touch, your eyes, your body. And the practices are ways in which we bodily engage with God. Someone said that these practices are these bodily habitations of the Spirit. 
where the Holy Spirit, which we can't see or taste or touch, meets us and works with us. Discipleship is what we do with our whole bodies. And so these practices, interestingly enough, think of how they engage our body. So they engage our digestive system, the practice of fasting. Whoever thought that we engage our digestive system? Your environment, silence and solitude. Your mind you engage, which is your body, right? Your brain. Uh, Scripture, your senses, feasting and celebration. It is the whole of our bodies that is engaged in these practices. And it's meant to touch the whole of your life. And what these practices do is they create space and time. We are space-time creatures. Space and time for us to access the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, we become transformed from the inside out by God's Spirit. Resurrection life begins to take shape and emerge and grow in us. These are the places these spiritual disciplines, these practices where God meets us. One writer, Dallas Willard, writes this about him. He says, the disciplines are activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken. So they're not random. They're purposefully undertaken to bring our personality, our total being, into effective cooperation, participation with the divine order. They they enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us deriving from the spiritual realm itself as we yield ourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead, resurrected, and are members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So the practices are a way for us to access power, activities that allow us to access the power of the Holy Spirit, a power that is beyond us right now, but available to us through the Holy Spirit. These activities are ways in which we can participate now by direct effort that will eventually enable you and I to do that which is currently unavailable to us by direct effort. So we're doing now something that we can do. Okay, I can fast. I can set aside food for a day. And that practice that I can do is then going to empower me and allow me to access a power and allow me to do something that I currently cannot do now in my own power. The practices of Jesus are the way, are to the way of Jesus, very similar to the way free throw drills are to Kawhi Leonard. What scales are to playing piano, what a flashcard drill is to learning new languages. And it's so important to realize they are not the end in themselves, right? These practices, they are a means to an end. Someone doesn't, you know, go through flashcard drills just for the joy of flashcard drills, right? No, they do that so they can engage, speak in another language, so they might visit another culture and immerse themselves in that culture. Kawhi Leonard of the Toronto Raptors practices free throws not to practice, but that's so tonight he can lead that team to victory. (laughs) We engage these practices not for the practices themselves. That, That becomes legalism then, doesn't it? We engage these practices to know God, to live in this deeper communion with God throughout our whole day 
these practices open us up so that we're able to see more of God in our everyday lives, to live the life of Jesus in our homes, at our workplaces, as we commute, living this resurrection life. You know, we use the language of following Jesus here a lot. That's the first part of our mission statement. Following Jesus, loving the city, serving the world. Following Jesus. Because Jesus invites us, follow me. Become my disciples. Become my apprentices. That's the better translation of that word, disciple. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be an apprentice. Think of how an apprentice functions. An apprentice electrician comes alongside a master electrician and watches and learns skills and then participates and figures out, learns the skills of how to be a competent electrician. As apprentices of Jesus, through these practices, we come alongside the master, the resurrected Lord, and we learn how to live a resurrected life with him. And you do that. You'd build your life around Jesus. You'd arrange your life around Jesus because you sense in him there is nothing more important, more valuable, more magnificent, more beautiful, more that grabs your heart than Jesus. When you see only in Jesus do we find someone who will give his life so that you might live. Only in Jesus do we find someone who is with us in the storms of life when they blow and who accepts us, even when we fail miserably, even when our house crashes because we've built it on all the wrong things. Jesus comes alongside nonetheless, even there, and he says, follow me. Build your life. Put it into practice here. In Jesus, this is the Savior we get and so we build our life on that good Savior. And, and this is not about performance either. I, we just got to name that, you know? It's not about how many spiritual disciplines we do so that you can, oh, you're only doing three, are you? <laughs> no, right? It is about the invitation of God into more of his life. This is about grace. It is the gracious invitation of God to enter in to follow me, Jesus says, to enjoy his life. It's a life that he has fully accomplished, but we need to learn how to participate in it. I want to close today with an exercise for you to do this week. As we begin to launch into these spiritual practices, and we hope to resource you with many good books we're going to fill our library up with them, I hope, and we'll provide you with some good resources. Here's what, I, here's what I'd like you to do this week. I'd like you to um, find a journal, find a pad of paper, whatever it is, and pay attention this week to what are the daily, weekly, actual practices and routines of your life. So do a practice inventory. Take a notepad and just write down Go hour by hour. Go quarter hour by quarter hour if that's what you've got to do. What do you do during the day? What actually happens? How do you start your day? What do you do when you get out of bed? Is your phone at your bedside? Do you check emails first thing? Is that it? After the alarm goes off? So, so what do you do? Check, um, where and how do you engage with people throughout the day? What are the rhythms? What's a breakfast rhythm? A lunch routine? Dinner? How does dinner happen? Do you gather with people? With family? What do you do on the bus when you commute? Inventory all the actual routines and practices. 
And then, once you've got those, reflect on them for a minute and ask yourself this, two questions. Who told me to do this? Who, who told me that I have to act in this way? Um, you know, maybe one of the things you do regularly is I stop at the store and do a little shopping. Who told you? Well, probably an advertiser did. Maybe clothing manufacturers told you. Maybe cultural standards informed you. But ask the question, who, who's telling me I have to do it this way? And then, the second question, to what end? What is this practice cultivating in my life? Is this bringing me life? Is this directing my heart towards God's kingdom? Or is it moving it somewhere else? So inventory all your practices. Ask yourself, who's telling me to do this? And to what end? What purpose? What goal? Is it bringing me life? Again, following Jesus, it's not a set of ideas. It is a life. It's like learning a skill. We are setting out to learn the skills of love and grace, mercy and justice from our resurrected master, Jesus. We are learning to come alive with resurrection life. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge you as the master craftsman of life. You, God, created life first. You know how this world works inside and out. And you, Jesus, know what resurrected life is all about. This life we are meant for, new creation. And so we yield ourselves to you, Jesus. We confess that we have often, and maybe unwittingly, oriented our lives around other things. Practices, routines that seemed innocuous or innocent, but we might realize really are drawing us away from you. God, I pray this week that you would give us clarity, awareness of, first of all, what actually is going on in our lives, but also, Holy Spirit, would you help us as we reflect and assess on those practices? Many of them are going to be good and life-giving, and Holy Spirit, affirm those, bless those. But many of those might not be producing the life we want. And so, Holy Spirit, would you show us that and give us the hope of that there is another way, that there is a good way where we might find rest for our souls. It's in your way, Jesus, your unforced rhythms and practices of grace. So teach us, master craftsmen, the skills of resurrection life. In your name we pray, amen.